All right, what color is in the top left of the screen? Yellow. yellow. Is that yellow? Yes. Top right corner is? Blue. Is that blue? Yes, we all agree it's blue. How do you know that's yellow and blue? How do you know those are yellow and blue? Because when you were two years old, your parents told you that's yellow and that's blue. Right? Do you really believe them? Everyone does, Devin says. All right, we all agree that that is yellow and that is blue. And they are. Our parents told us that when we were two. We started to learn our colors. The big horse leg size crayons. But how do you know that that's yellow? You don't. You only call that yellow because when you see that wavelength of light in your eyeball, your mom and dad told you to label that yellow. But you don't know that what you see is anything close to what anybody else sees because you have never been behind their eyeballs. If you could get behind my eyeballs and look through and see what I see there, you might say, Mitch, no, that's orange. You don't know. Because you've never been outside yourself. You have nothing to compare it to. Do you know that like a, somewhere between a tenth and a third of the men on the entire planet cannot tell those bottom two colors apart? It's rare for a woman to be colorblind, but a large fraction of men worldwide, it has nothing to do with ethnicity or anything, it's just maleness for some reason, eyeballs don't work right, and a large fraction of men on the planet see those two colors as shades of gray. Their eyeballs receive those light waves and they don't see them correctly. So what about the rest of the colors? How do you know what you see is what the rest of us see? You don't. In fact, we're probably guaranteed it's not because we all know we all see things very differently, right? So our perception is our reality defined by whether the retinas and the cones and the rods and things in our eyeballs actually work because we know for a fact there are a large number of men on the planet whose eyeballs don't work right and they don't see the same thing that the rest of us see there when it's red and green. They either see the same color or they see shades of gray. So that idea, that principle is true of anything. That I cannot take your eyeballs and see what you see and you cannot take mine. You are stuck in you and I am stuck in me. And the way we perceive things is our reality. You live inside you. You have what the Bible calls a soul. It's your personality. It's your experiences. It's your desires. It's your will. It's your emotions. It's your knowledge. It's the entire lifetime of your experiences all wrapped up in here. And we call that your soul. And that is you. You know, your body is not the real you. The real you is in there. It's your soul. You have a spirit, too, that the Bible says lives in your heart, which is a totally different topic. Okay, You have a body and a spirit and a soul. You're a trinity just like God. You're three parts that are one, inseparable but distinct, just like God. All right? 
You live inside that soul and you have never, ever been outside yourself. You have never been, you've never perceived anything from outside your senses. And I have never been outside my soul and perceived anything outside myself. It is really impossible for you to know what somebody else is thinking or feeling or sensing. In fact, I am totally aware of that everything I have said in the last five minutes is being received 57 different ways. Because you can't hear what I mean. You hear what you interpret. You don't know what's all in the back of my head. 39 years of experiences and the books I've read and the knowledge I have and the teachings I've gotten and all this stuff. You have your own books that you've read and the knowledge you've gotten and the teachings you've gotten and you receive what I say through your filter. Yeah? You've never been outside yourself. You can't know if what you think or feel or see is the same as anyone else and we're probably guaranteed that it's not. You can't get inside anyone else and no one else can get inside of you. Your soul is you. That's it. You are holy and distinct. So the way you think about and act about money, sex, marriage, and food, and parenting, and forgiveness, and work, and God, and control in your life, and your neatness, or your schedule, or your responsibility and maturity level, or your reactions to authority figures, all of that is defined by your soul, what you think and feel and believe inside. The way you think your belief system is the product of all of your life experiences, your DNA and everything that's happened to you and everything you have done, it's all in there. It's a product of your parents, your culture, maybe abuse or tragedy that's happened in your life, education or lack of education, training, gender affects it, Economics affects it, how you see the world outside you and how you receive from the world into yourself. Your perception is your reality. That whole construction in there that is the real you is your soul. And you, th you live and function and act and think out of that. Just like it's impossible to get out from behind your own eyeballs, and perceive another way, it is impossible to perceive another way than through your own soul. Your own feelings and reactions and thoughts and what you know and what you don't know and your fears and your faith and all that stuff. Just like there is no way to know what anyone else is th feeling or thinking, it's equally impossible for you to know what's in anybody else's soul. And just as we know that some, I'll say men's, I know there's colorblind women, but that's very rare, just as we know that some men's eyeballs don't work right, some people have souls that don't see right. There are men who look at that bottom of that screen and can't tell the difference because there is something physically wrong in their eyes. There are people who look at the world and other people and God and they do not see it correctly because their souls are broken that they perceive it through the corruption and sin and damage that is in their own soul you with me 
But you are you, and you have nothing else to compare that to because you've never known what you don't know. You've never experienced what somebody else has experienced. So a person who is a person who is born blind, we cannot describe to them what anything looks like because they have nothing to compare it to. So the person who knows Jesus and is free cannot explain to someone who does has never seen Jesus, who can't really explain that to them in a way that would make sense. And the person whose soul is broken, who doesn't see right from the inside out, wouldn't know it on their own. Because it's me. It's who I am. It's how I function. And they have no context for anything else. How does the colorblind man learn he's colorblind? Because the rest of us can see it. How does the person with a broken soul learn they have a broken soul? Because the rest of us can see it. You are blind to your own problems, but the rest of us see them. Everybody's really nervous now. You're like, well, this is just this is just me. It's who I am. It's how I function. Okay. That doesn't mean it's right. Well, I can't do anything else. Uh, we understand that. But we see something you don't see. You with me? So just like the colorblind guy has just got to admit, okay, if the rest of you can tell a difference between those two squares and I can't, then I'm missing something then if you have four friends trying to tell you you have a problem in this area, you better listen. They see something you don't see. Be wise. Listen to the people that love you. They see something you don't see. You with me? Because just like eyeballs may not work correctly, and we may perceive things very wrongly. Our souls, either because of abuse or tragedy in our youth, or it's just the way mom and dad taught us to think, but somehow, over life and through other people's sin or our own sin, our own stupid decisions, and just life happening to us, our souls can get screwed up. I know some areas in my heart that are not right. I know some areas where I'm broken. And God and I talk about that all the time. I have to repeatedly ask for forgiveness and help and His grace to just make it through the day. I, I know, I'm fully aware of a couple areas where I'm very broken. But then I also know, just because I know it's true, that there are flaws in me that I have not yet admitted are flaws but you all see them. Sarah points them out from time to time. We have a discussion about whether that's actually a flaw or whether maybe it's her perception that's off. But I know it's true that there are things in me that I'm blind to. How do I know that? Because over the years, I've repeatedly seen things that I didn't see for the last 30 years, and all of a sudden, whoa, 
That's really bad. I've done that all my life. And now, today, in a moment, boom, flash, light bulb, I see it. For what it really is, like, oh, yikes. And I did that in front of everybody. That's really embarrassing. Please forgive me, Jesus. Oh, I forgave you a long time ago. You loved me even, I didn't even know that was wrong. I know. I love you a lot more than you know, because I know a lot more wrong about you than you do. Wow, Jesus, you love me even more than I knew. That's right. Thank you. That makes me love you more. Been there? Done that? Okay. So our souls can get broken. But because we're in there and we have no other way of comparing it to anything else, we don't know it. It's just me. It's how I function. I've lived with that wound since I was six years old, and I don't know what it's like to not have that wound. I've lived with this addiction for 25 years and I don't remember what it was like to not have it. You with me? And because the alcoholic or the porn addict or the gossip addict can't get out of their own soul and into somebody that's free from that, they're like, it's like, I don't even know how to get free. I don't even know what free looks like. I'm not really even sure I'm trapped, but I know I am because I can't quit. But this is just me. So, just some scriptures for background, and then I had a dream about a week and a half ago that I needed to share with you. Um, it was definitely a, an experience from the Lord that um, I learned something about, and I, I, I am to share it with you, but I've got to give you some scriptures and some background. So, let's go to Romans 8. Verses 5 through 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit... Their minds are on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Carnal means flesh, like Spanish, carne is meat. So carnal means the things of this world, the things of this temporary life, the things of my body and what I need right now. So if I set my mind on those things, it is death. To be spiritually minded, to be kingdom minded, to be minded of the things of God is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is hatred, enmity means hatred or opposition. My carnal mind is opposed to God, but it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That verse there, God tells us that our minds can either be set on the things of this world or set on the things of Him. And that if my mind is set on things of this world, if I'm living for money and paying the next bill and what is my career and you know, whatever, just things of this world, that I am opposed to God. But I wouldn't even know it. In fact, it says that people that way can't know that. They are. They can't please God and they don't know it. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So our minds can think against God and against truth and we wouldn't know it. Our minds, our souls, our being inside of us can be blind to its own dysfunction as we, uh, most of us have experienced. Did things wrong for so many years and never had a clue. All of a sudden in a day I see something, Jesus reveals something, we call it a revelation. Here, check out this next scripture. From 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, The God of this age, that's the devil, the God of this age has blinded their minds. Our minds can be blinded. Our soul 
is blind to its own dysfunction. We're blind to our own sins. As the quote from C.S. Lewis this week says, really we wrap our sins in excuses and, and don't admit that they are sins. But Satan can blind people's minds, meaning they won't think right. They think in darkness instead of light. In Scripture, light always represents truth. Darkness always represents a lie or being lost. So the devil can blind people's minds. Ephesians 4 says this, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Listen to those words that, that God uses about people that don't have the Holy Spirit. He says they, their thinking is futile, their understanding is darkened. They are alienated from God. The ignorance and blindness in their soul. They can't think straight. They can't see the truth if it's right in front of them because they're in such darkness, which is why Jesus is the light of the world. We're supposed to shine a light in the darkness so that the people can see because their minds are dark and blind. Okay, I got a bunch of amens on that first service. I said, their minds are dark and black and they cannot see straight. We are a lamp on a stand. Jesus is the light of the world and we shine into that darkness so they can see. Okay, thank you. A few people. A soul can be corrupted, the Bible says. The word means rotted, perverted, or broken. Here's Titus 1. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their mind and conscience are defiled. I don't know how many of you have experienced it, but I've experienced having my mind and conscience defiled. When I watched a movie, I should not have watched. It puts pictures and feelings and experiences in there I should not have in my memory. Now, this thing is the sharpest computer ever, and I put garbage in, I'm going to get garbage out but I have storage for pictures in here. And there are movies I've watched that were just really stupid and I wasted an hour and a half of my life. And I, Sarah and I are like, that was dumb. We just, we, our life is too short to get that hour and a half back. But then there's other movies like, that was really bad. I, that, I should not have put that in me. It defiled me. Other times you get defiled by talking to people. You just walk away after a conversation and you just feel puked on because they're just complaining or gossiping, or just they're so angry, it's just like, bah! And it's just, you just feel defiled. All right, so this says that somebody, our conscience and our mind, our soul, can get defiled. And because of people's sexual sins, primarily, but lots of other kinds of sins, defile who we are inside, and it makes us see the world in a perverted way. There are guys that get so wrapped up in porn that they... They can't look at a woman straight. Every female around them is a sex object and they picture them naked and they just can't get out of that because they are defiled. There's other, it says to the pure, all things are pure. There are Pollyannas who are just, there's not a selfish bone in their body and they never have an evil thought and the sun is always shining and, and that kind of person is just full of faith and joy and, and, and because they're pure, they see the world as pure. People are safe and everything's going to work out and it's going to be great. And, and then other people are just so full of depression or anger or 
unforgiveness or lust or greed. It's just that's what comes out of them because their soul is defiled. You with me? Next scripture is 2 Corinthians 11. But I fear somehow as the serpent deceived Eve in his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's speaking to Christians. And Paul is, the context of this is not my point, but the context is that in the Corinthian church, there were people coming in telling these non-Hebrew Christians that they had to follow all the Old Testament laws. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. That's not at all what God wants. But in that, he makes this statement that Satan, the serpent, can corrupt our minds. If we get a hold of a lie that we start becoming fixated with, that we get believing, get excited about, it corrupts who we are in our soul, even though we've got Jesus, even though we've got the Holy Spirit. So our soul can be corrupted. God says, change the way you think. Your soul can be changed. From Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God says, don't think like the world. Let me transform your mind. Let me change the way you think. And there are numerous other scriptures I can combine with this one, and we find out that a main purpose for this earthly Christian life is for God to rearrange our belief system. He brings us out of Egypt, but it takes him 40 years to get the Egypt out of us. Right? Well, we come to Jesus and out of our old life and we like, God is real? Jesus will forgive my sins? I am loved? I can be born again? I can have a fresh start? Hallelujah! And then the next day my, like, oh, but I got 30 years of bad habits to unlearn. I got to keep putting my tongue back in my mouth. I got to Learn how God thinks about money, how God thinks about sex, how God thinks about parenting, how God thinks about relationships. And that takes a lifetime of having our mind transformed. Your spirit was born again on the day you made Jesus your Lord and invited Him into your heart. Your mind, your soul is being born again, transformed all of your life and your body will be born again transformed at the resurrection all right so you're completely forgiven white as snow completely guiltless and holy before god but we all got a lot of things to unlearn because mom and dad didn't teach us right because society culture didn't do it right because of the sins we did because of the abuse that we got done to us and all that whole mess of mixture our mind's got to be transformed. God says, change the way you think so that you can know how I think. That's what that verse says. 1 Peter 4 says, arm yourselves with this mindset. Now again, there's a context to that, which is not my point. Peter's actually writing to Christians about suffering for Jesus. He said, just get it, get it in you ahead of time. You are going to pay a price. You will be treated wrong. Arm yourself with that mindset so you're not shocked when it happens. So you don't get all upset. Just the way it is. Okay, but my point here is, Peter says to the other Christians, put armor on your mind. You can arm yourself with a way of thinking. Know the truth and put it on like a helmet on your head and arm your mind. 
with the truth, with a way of thinking. Be prepared ahead of time with correct thinking. And then lastly here, Ephesians 4 says, Throw off your old sinful behavior, which corrupted you by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Okay, there we go. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. There, again, is a verse that says our thoughts and our attitudes can be made new. All the garbage from your past life can be pulled out of your soul and God's nature can be put in. But he says the key to that is stop your old sinful behavior. And those of you who've been walking with God for any length of time know that's true. Before you came to God, you were mean and you heard about loving your neighbor and forgiveness and you started doing that and all of a sudden that anger and meanness left you. You changed your behavior and your heart changed followed. The way you think changes. Before you met Jesus, you were greedy and selfish with your money. You heard about giving and tithing and you start doing that and all of a sudden generosity comes into your thinking. The more you give, the more generous your mind and heart become. In your old life, gentlemen, you looked at women as an object to use. You hear how God created them to be your sisters and vessels of honor. And you start doing that. And the old nasty ways of thinking left. Yeah. Thank you. Change your behavior and your mind will change to follow. That's the key. Right? Because you can't change your mind. You can stop an addiction if you wanted to. And most of the stuff that's in there, you're blind to anyway. You don't know why you do the things you do. I don't. Paul said that. I don't know why I do the things I do. Why can't I get the right thing done? I don't know. It's true. We don't understand our own souls. Only Jesus does. Just change your behavior and your thinking patterns, your belief system will change. You'll start thinking like God. You'll start thinking like Jesus. But Mitch, how can I change the way I think if I'm really not even aware of how I think that's wrong? Okay, I understand. That's true. We're blind to our own faults. It's totally true. And we can get trapped in things that we don't even know are there. Just the way mom and dad raised us. It's just cultural, normal thing to do. So I do it too. And I don't even realize that that's not God. So if it's true that I can't perceive anything out of myself, how do I know what I need to change? Well, that's true. Check this verse out. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writing, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If you have been in the church more than two years, you have heard that verse at some point used as a spiritual warfare verse. This is the verse about spiritual warfare and, and deliverance and intercession. It has nothing to do with any of that. 
That whole chapter is about apostolic church discipline. There is not a spiritual comment in the entire chapter about things of spirits and demons and spiritual warfare. This is about soul warfare. Paul says, my job, my ministry is pull down strongholds. The word stronghold means a fort or a castle. Paul says, my ministry is going around destroying castles. What in the world, Paul? You never sieged a castle in your life. What kind of castles is he talking about? Casting down arguments. The word in the Greek there is logismo. It's where we get logic. He said, I bring down logic that exalts itself against Christ. I crush thought patterns, belief systems, and logic that is contrary to who Jesus is. He says, I pull down strongholds, casting down logic and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, notice that word, bringing every thought into captivity of Christ. He uses the word logic, thought, and knowledge, and they live, our thoughts live in forts in our mind. Forts of excuses and protection, and like, you're not going to get me to change. Because I know this is right. I've thought through it myself and, and I've learned this and this is what I think and who I am and how I behave. This is how I roll and I'm not going to change. And Paul comes along and says, it's my job by the power of the Holy Spirit to crash the gates of your castle and bust down that thinking so that you will come in line with Jesus. The strongholds that Paul writes about our belief systems, our ways of thinking that encase our mind and protect the way we think and act. Let me give you examples. Somebody who is a worrier. Worry is the fortress. It's the stronghold of their soul. They worry about everything. Everything that comes out of them is worry. Everything that comes into them is something to worry about. Something to lose sleep about. Something to be afraid of. Understand what I mean? A man who has a stronghold of lust in his soul, everything is about lust. He's obsessed with it. It's all he can think about. A guy with a stronghold of depression or low self-esteem or negativity. It doesn't matter how many people tell that person, I love you, I like you, they will never believe it because it just bounces off the wall of their fort. They got a castle wall around their thinking that nobody likes me, nobody loves me, I have no reason to live. I'm depressed. And no matter how many times you tell them, no, I like you, it just bounces off the castle wall. You with me? Gossip and habitual liars and people who will be defensive about anything and deny they were ever wrong about anything. Are, they have a stronghold in their thinking. People with a selfish agenda or rebellion against authority or anger and unforgiveness or lust or the way they think about food or um, avoiding conflict or people who are manipulating and controlling have strongholds in the way they think. It's their fort in their head. They're not going to let anybody in. This is the way I am. It's the way it is. It's sort of like a helmet, which I brought with me this morning. It's like 
This, this is my belief system. This is the way I, this is the fortress, the stronghold of my soul. And when I was, this is not true of me. I'm not talking about myself personally. I just, all of us do this. But somebody who is, you know, abused or molested as a little kid. They're not going to get hurt like that again. So they put, they put up walls around their thinking. That I'm not going to get touched. I'm protected. I'm armed in my mind. And I'm going to be a bully and a control freak, and I'm going to hurt everybody around me to make sure that I don't ever get hurt again. Somebody who had terrible tragedy in their life, a divorce or a death, and they lost somebody they loved, they begin to fortify their soul, to put walls up around, I'm not going to love anybody. I'm not going to let anybody get close to me because I can't survive that pain again. It hurts so terrible when that person died or when my dad and mom divorced and dad left. I can't, I can't love anybody again. So I'm going to keep my wife at arm's length. I'm not going to love my children real great. And at some point I'll probably leave too because I just can't handle it. Somebody with a fortress of self-esteem problems or depression, it doesn't matter how many times you tell them you love them, it just bounces right off the armor. Because this encases their thinking. Somebody whose who's stronghold is, I'm always going to be poor. We're never going to have enough money. I always have to worry about how the bills are going to get paid. It doesn't matter how much money they have. They will always think out of poverty. But Mitch, you don't understand. We don't have a whole lot of money and the bills aren't getting paid. Thank you for proving my point. Because there are people in the room that earn less money than you and they slept last night. Because they don't have that helmet on. You have a helmet of worry and fear about money. Well, the funny thing about helmets, this is my son who just started 7th grade football. The funny thing about helmets is that you put them on to protect you. And then they come down and they protect your head and your face. Can you still hear me all right? It protects me, keeps me safe. I'm armed with my thinking. The way I live life, the way I do things, my soul is protected. I'm not letting anybody in, but it also colors how I see everything from the inside out. I got to look through this visor. And I got layers and layers of things I'm looking through, which means I'm not seeing reality. I'm seeing it through the stronghold that's on my head. So everything is a fight. Everything is a worry. Everything is about me. See, the funny thing about this football helmet he's wearing protects his head. This face mask protects his face from getting hurt. But if he never takes this off, it also becomes the prison bars that he looks through. That castle you build around yourself, that stronghold in your mind, if it's never opened, it's also your prison. And you can't get out. So you went to drinking because it helped you get away from your problems, but now it's a prison. You went to lust because it made you feel powerful, but now you can't stop. You had a legitimate reason for looking for a man because God says you need a man to be your head. But after you jump in bed with 17 guys, it's a prison and it's corrupted your soul 
and you don't see straight. And you're out of touch with reality. People who have these helmets on, who the thoughts are encased in a, in a lie, they don't know it. Because they've never had that mask off to see what it's really like on the outside. But you need to know that there, you may be unaware of this if you are a worrier about money, but you need to know that most of us did not worry about money last night. You have a helmet on that shapes the way you think about money. Gentlemen, if you are one that lives in lust, you need to know that it is not normal for a man of God to picture all the women around him naked. And that there are some of us that don't do that. There are some ladies in the room that need to know that there are a lot of other godly women in the room who don't call six other people when they have some juicy tidbit. They don't stir up trouble. They have learned discretion and keep their mouth shut. That may shock you because you just live in gossip. And you live in drama and trauma. But there's a lot of ladies who have learned to keep their mouth shut. You, you have a helmet on. There are some of you who need to know that there are people here who don't turn to food for stress relief. There are also people here who don't see food as an enemy. You need to know that there are people here who are not stressed out by confrontation. If they have to have a hard talk with somebody, they don't lose sleep for four nights. They just go do it. You have a helmet on. You're afraid of confrontation. That visor just convinces you that it will end your life if you actually confronted somebody. A lot of you need to know that there are a few people who do actually apologize immediately if they're confronted. They don't get mad. They don't defend themselves. They don't call their mama for reinforcement. Some of you need to know that there are people in this room who have no one they need to forgive. They're completely at peace. Because some of you have a helmet of anger on and you wouldn't know what it would like if you had that off. You just lived with it for so long. Everything you see is fight and anger. There are people who are not wearing that helmet and their lives are at peace. There are people here who would rather not be noticed. They would way rather somebody else be noticed. But some of you are wearing a helmet of self-promotion and you don't see people as objects to people to love. You see them as how, do, how can I get money or influence out of them? How can I use them in my business or politics? People are objects to be used instead of souls to love. But we've all got our helmets on. Some people have helmets of fear and everything they see is scary. Other people have helmets of faith. Everything they say is a God opportunity. Oh yeah, God's going to win that one. I'm looking through my faith visor. I got my faith helmet on and worry doesn't touch me. And we know all of us get scared in moments or whatever, but your helmet defines who you are and how you see the world and how you act. And three people can look at the exact same circumstances and see it completely differently. One person is absolutely terrified, another is infuriated, and another person says, God's going to work it all out. And they really mean it. Because the visor they're looking through is faith, peace, patience, joy. Got the helmet of salvation on, and 
Nothing touches my mind but Jesus. But we've all got our helmets on. We've all got our protections and our excuses and our habits and things that we don't even know are wrong. And I, so I, let me tell you about my dream. And let me let me tell you how serious these, these things are. I had a dream about a week and a half ago that I want to tell you about. In the dream, I was an observer. I was not active in the dream, which is unusual. Usually I'm the one getting chased or uh, whatever. <laughs> And so those of you who are dreamers will understand my language. If you're not a dreamer, if you don't have spiritual dreams, which you probably do, but you don't know it, but you're just going to have to trust me because I can't let you inside my soul to figure out what I'm saying. You're just going to have to, you're just going to have to figure it out. I had this dream where a man and a woman were plotting a murder and they want a man and a woman wanted to kill this man over here and they were plotting about how to do it. And on the ground at their feet was a helmet. And this is where I got the idea for the illustration this morning. The helmet looked like nothing I've ever seen on earth before. It was a cross between a motorcycle helmet and a football helmet. It was, but the helmet was alive. And it was evil. It was emanating wickedness. I don't know if you've ever had a demon show up in your dream where you wake up and you're frozen and you can't breathe. And you know there's been a presence in your bedroom, but this was that night. This helmet was demonic. It was death. It was evil. It was wicked. It was, I've never seen Jason or Freddie or Chucky or Hannibal or any of that stuff, but uh, those of you who maybe have, I mean, this is uh, beyond anything Hollywood could, could put in a movie. It was alive and it was full, the helmet was full of hate and death. And what they just, what the woman and the man were plotting a murder of a guy, and what they decided to do was they would lure him up the stairs, which they did. They called him up the stairs into the room where we were, and they put the helmet on his head. And it went on real easy. And it, when the helmet went on his head, in an instant, these metal spikes and teeth came out from the inside of the helmet into the man's head. And long, five, six-inch metal spikes and like, you know, shark teeth are pointed backwards so that the prey can't get out of the shark's mouth. They were pointed up into the helmet. There was no way that helmet was going to come off. And they began to rotate and like chainsaw his head and blood and brains went, it it was horrible. I mean, it it sounds goofy now talking about it in this setting, but at the time I woke up, I was not able to breathe and my heart was racing, which is a scary combination. It was was evil. The helmet shredded the man's head, just ground it up like a blender. And he didn't die. He just looked out of the visor of the helmet and walked down the stairs. He was really, really hurt, but his body didn't die. And the people were so excited that their plan had worked. They had murdered this man. But he didn't physically die. He just had his head shredded with these spikes. And I woke up. I mean, these people are gleeful that they have got this helmet to stick on this guy's head and it killed him. And I woke up and I was like, God, what was that? And without thinking of any of these verses, none of this sermon was in my mind. Uh, it's come all come from the dream. The Lord immediately told me, 
that helmet you saw was a stronghold. It was a lie that they told the man and he believed it and it killed him. And it didn't kill his body. It killed his soul. It absolutely shredded him. And later I'm like, God, what was the lie? Because it was gross. It was horrible. And the wickedness coming from that helmet is indescribable. It was from hell. And God said it was low self-esteem. Which doesn't seem all that bad to us. It's like, well, yeah, we all deal with that. Maybe people don't like me or I don't know who I am and why I'm important. And God sees that as a tool of hell to kill us. Because it's a lie and it destroys who He made us to be. So my point is not just about low self-esteem. Here's the point. The helmet was, that particular specific helmet was low self-esteem. But I'm telling you, God does not see these things that I'm talking about this morning as character flaws. They are tools of the devil to murder us to get us out of the destiny that He has for us because we're out of touch with reality and we're not thinking like Him and it destroys us and everybody else around us. And we go on walking around with shredded heads, with lies that are stuck on there and there's no way we're getting them off and they hurt terribly and we don't even know it. Gossip, lust, low self-esteem, Greed. It's all this. It's a lie. Control, manipulation, fear. Do you understand that fear is not just, well, it's a problem I deal with, I know I need to trust God. No, it is the tool of the devil to kill you. And when seen in the spiritual realm, like I believe God showed me in the dream, God, there was no condemnation. God was not angry with the guy at all. It was just... God does not see this as some little character flaw that, oh yeah, I'll get rid of someday. No, it is killing you. And not just killing you, it is enjoying destroying your life. And Satan is very happy that you're believing that lie. He was gleeful that they got the helmet on this guy. They were really happy that he took the helmet. Do you understand? If he can lie to you about sex or money or food or relationships or your parents or unforgiveness or your worthlessness or rebellion, all these things, every one of them is a lie that he sticks on our head and it ruins who we're supposed to be. So now that you're really scared that you might be wearing a helmet and not know it, how do we get those things off? Because some of this just big long spikes up into this guy's brain and, and just it just gnawed him, chewed him off, chewed him up. Well, so there was no way to get this thing off. Once he believed the lie, it was in there. And it was in there solid and it was in there bloody and deadly. And it totally controlled everything he thought and how he received everything and how he gave out everything. It was based on the lie that covered his head, whatever that may be with you. 
Good news. Check this out. From 2 Corinthians 3. But when the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Testament is being read, a veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. The veil can be removed by believing in Jesus Christ. The scripture has a context which you can't go into, but it's talking about a veil that covers their head and face. I'm using the word helmet, it's the same thing. You with me? But a veil covered, they, they see out through it and everything they receive in comes through it. And it's the veil of unbelief. And the scripture there, God says, good news. I will take the veil off when you believe in Jesus Christ. And you'll see me for who I really am. You'll see reality for what it really is. You'll see other people for who they really are. But Mitch, I believed in Jesus Christ for 20 years now and I still got problems. I still deal with low self-esteem or I still deal with anger. I still deal with lust or addiction or what I can't get free. The veil's still on there. I believe in Jesus, but but I still got a helmet on. And it hurts. I become obsessed with whatever, the next drink or the next hit or the next porn or the next I'm just angry all the time or or I can't control my tongue and I know it's wrong, but it's always getting out of my mouth. And I believe in Jesus. What's up with that? Check this out. 2 Corinthians 3.18, three verses later, says this. But we with uncovered face, with no mask on, with no colored lenses, with no visor of sin or flesh in front of us, with uncovered face we behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into His image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. We are being transformed into His image as He takes veil after veil, layer after layer, lens after lens, mask after mask off of us. That mom and dad or society or teachers or classmates or the wicked uncle or whatever put on us. Or ourselves. We got ourselves in our own trap. And He peels all that off over a lifetime We are being transformed to look just like Him as we look at Him with unveiled face. If you want to be totally free from any mindset or belief that you have that's wrong, you've got to look Jesus straight in the eye and say, I don't care what I have to repent for. I don't care what you tell me that I'm doing wrong. I will stop it. I will change because I want to be just like you. And that helmet will fly off. It will dissolve and the thinking will go away and all the damage that that lie has done to your life and your actions and your relationships, He will repair it. It is by the Spirit of the Lord He will change you to look just like Jesus, which means your face looks like Him, but it means you look like He looks. You see like He sees. And there's no mask, there's no visor, there's no veil there. You can think straight. You can be free. You can know that you believe the truth. I know we all got issues. 
And we're never going to be perfect, but you can know that you know the truth. Because I know Jesus. And I don't care what it kills in me, and I don't care what I have to give up or sacrifice or admit that I'm wrong. I'm going to be just like him. I don't want to look at him through 12 layers of me. I want to look at him with an unveiled face. I don't want to look at him through my helmet of unbelief or my helmet of poverty or my helmet of lust or my helmet of selfishness. I'm going to look at him without anything between us, just him and I right in the eye. No excuses for who I've been or what I've done. Kill it all, Jesus. I want to be just like you. You make one excuse and that helmet will stay. You can have a sound mind. You can know that you see the world correctly. You can know that you do know Jesus Christ. You can know that you're not being colored by your own perceptions and hurts and deceptions. So these strongholds, you know what? I can't just lay hands on you and pray for it to be gone. This is something you built and you and the Holy Spirit will dismantle it. The Holy Spirit's job is to take the truth of the Word of God. He brings in his battering ram and he just smashes your castle walls down. He's like, you are so important. I'm going to get into your heart and I'm going to get in there and I'm going to take your castle. (laughs) I'm going to get in there and love you even if you don't want me to. So it's not like we can just be healed from these things or lay hands on and cast it out because it's the way you think. It's what you believe. And it's line upon line, here there a little, there a little. Truth upon truth, God just hits you over and over and over with his love, with his truth, with his power, with his morality, with his righteousness, with everything that, it, that he is. He just hits you again and again and again and again. And as you receive it, those walls come down and down and down and down. I know that some of you are hoping, oh yeah, let's pray and get rid of this thing. Well, the Spirit is the one that does that. But it does have to be a transformed mind. Yeah? All right. You say yes to God. Open up the gates of your stronghold and let Him in. He'll dissolve that thing real quick. Real quick. Thank you, Lord. For your truth, thank you for your love. Thank you for loving our souls. Thank you for knowing us inside and out, even in ways that we don't even know ourselves. That you love us, you've forgiven more than we even understand, and you love us greater than we even understand. Lord, I, in the name of Jesus, I speak freedom to every soul here. Lord, I, in the name of Jesus, I speak destruction to strongholds, to lies, their way in and it took taken hold of people's minds of lies of worthlessness of lies of immorality of lies of greed or selfishness or excuses for sin that hold people hostage lies of of i i don't matter lies of i have no reason to live lies of of greed or i don't even know what lord but you do I speak destruction to those strongholds. Jesus, you said you came to destroy the works of the enemy. Holy Spirit, take your battering ram of truth and bust those walls down and flood in to our souls and bring life and joy and peace and freedom. Forgive us for wanting to hold on to these things, for being offended at your truth. We'd rather hold on to a lie sometimes. Forgive us, Lord.
We want to see you with unveiled face. We want to look just like you. We want to be transformed from glory to glory into your image. Lord, destroy the work of the enemy. Dissolve those helmets. Break those lies. Smash those strongholds that separate us from you because of the lies that we have believed. We want your truth and your spirit. Nothing else. Bless each soul here, Lord. Thank you that you know us, that you know every detail and you know exactly, exactly what to do. In Jesus' name.